0: That's it, boys. What I have to offer you is not cozy. It's a real tough job. I've got to get a ton of nitroglycerin to Derrick 16. That stuff's nitroglycerin. Oh, my goodness! <laughs> With a ton of that stuff on here, the slightest bump, the slightest heat,
1: you're a goner. Won't be enough for you left to even pick up. My trucks are plain ordinary trucks. No safety gadgets, no shock absorbers, nothing. You've got to do it all with your arms and legs. <laughs> See, somebody's been <coughs> keeping you guys
0: off. Well, now you've been warned. You're taking your lives in your own hands.
1: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, we are back at it again today to give you some, uh, some recommends before we talk about the main film that we will be talking about. And I'm very excited about it. Um, So, Ian, would you like me to go first? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, So, my recommend has nothing to do with our our main uh, film. But it's one that I haven't seen in in quite some time. It's only the second time I've seen it. Um, And it's a part of a franchise. And it's so much better than I thought it was. And so, I recently revisited Mission Impossible 3, um, which I had totally forgotten about. Um, For whatever reason, which I shouldn't have because, uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. And... um, He's, he's actually really good in it.
0: He's probably, I think he's still, in my opinion, he's still the best villain out of all six of the movies.
1: I, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah. So anyways, uh, and, you know, if you've seen any of the movies, you know, there, there is always a plot to it. And in this one, you know, Ethan Hunt is, is sort of, it looks like he's got a life outside of it. He's not doing any missions anymore. He's, he's marrying Michelle Monaghan and uh, training Carrie Russell. But, uh, the movie opens with that really intense counting to 10 with Philip Seymour Hoffman and you don't know what's going on. It's Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise is a good actor and I think he found, I think this niche works really well, well for him, but in no other mission impossible movie, does he really get to show this kind of range as an actor? And it's, it's not just him doing the mission. Like there's, there's more of a reason. There's a personal reason behind it. And, um, I don't know. I I just I found this one to be really entertaining, and, but also really compelling. And we get this we get introduced to Simon Pegg. It's um, this first his, it's his first foray into the Mission Impossible films. Um, we get Ving Rhames back, and also Billy Crudup and Lawrence Fishburne in it. Like it's a really stacked cast. J.J. Abrams does a great job with the directing. Um, so I don't really have much to say about it. But even if you're not a big fan of the franchise, which I I could understand if you're not. Um, this is kind of this is before they get really big, like really, really big. And and again, I I have I have enjoyed even the second one. I actually have really enjoyed all of the Mission Impossible movies. They they are my they are my guilty pleasure. Yeah, they, Liz Liz gives me such a hard time for liking
0: those, but I was like, hey, it could be worse. I could be a fan of Fast and Furious. So ooh, I, I oh, think this is yeah. Uh, ooh, thank
1: thank God you're not. Yeah, um, lesser of two evils. Exactly. But yeah, they 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 it, there's there's a certain itch that i get to scratch with these movies and um well especially with
0: three as you said i mean it is i think it still is the most compelling of all six of them i mean there's some great moments I My, mean, I, I think my favorite moment is still the burj khalifa in four yeah my heart still jumps out of my chest every time he has to make that leap what is it three stories down to the open window and nearly misses because that's for all the shit that people want to talk about Tom Cruise and his personal life and the Scientology, like you said, he is a he is a great actor. Yeah, he is, and that's him out there doing these things. These things he doesn't have to do, but he does them anyway. For this man, suffers for his art. I mean, I I love watching the the behind the scene the making of them because the making of them can be just as compelling as yeah. the movies themselves. Like I said, watching that Burj Khalifa sequence.
1: Well, it's just like in in. Like in Fallout recently, where he tries to jump between the buildings and legit breaks his ankle, and they, they just kept it in the movie. And yeah, he and he keeps on moving. Yeah, yeah. You it, gotta you
0: gotta have some kind of even if like I said, if you if you don't respect the product that he puts out, you have to respect the amount of work
1: and love and passion for his craft that he does that he does have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, kind of a a short recommend. I, I'm recommending the third one, but I you know. It's they're the perfect kind of movies to put on and and you know and, and pay attention to but you don't have to although I will say Mission Impossible Three is the one that kept like I, as I reflect on all of them it's the one that keeps me the most engaged because I do feel the most compelled following Ethan Hunt in this story and well, I think it, the twist saved the franchise yeah it
0: did oh totally it totally after did. two it, it could have gone direct to... I'm not gonna go as... maybe not as far as to say it could have gone direct to video but yeah but I, yeah it dipped in its toe in that territory i mean john woo was just flavor of the week and it very much is it it doesn't feel like any of the rest of them it definitely feels like a john woo film
1: yeah yeah i mean he even got his doves in <laughs> yeah. he did he oh, got so his he, doves the in the movie are in there <laughs> for whatever reason
0: oh um, yeah sorry you were saying with the the twists i love the the bait and switch that happens in three yeah where the villain isn't who you think the villain is and they kind of uh they sort of they they make you feel like Lawrence Fishburne is the villain mm-hmm. a little bit like he is he's out to
1: get Hunt yeah which is it's the the bait and switch they pull is fantastic yeah and it's great too when you can get quality actors like Fishburne and up to come in and and it's not that they're they're not small parts but they're obviously they're not they're not huge but you can, it makes a world of a difference in those small parts to have like legit compelling serious actors. Giving it their all, even in those in those scenes, like Lawrence Fishburne reprimanding Hunt and Billy Crudup's character in the first that first little um, debriefing scene, is is great because he's just laying into them. It's 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 fantastic. So yeah, we recommend for the movie that we're gonna eventually talk about. But um, I de- I definitely I I really do recommend this movie. Like I, I it's fun, it's compelling, and the action's great. So there you go. There it is. Ian, what do you got for us today? Uh, this week I got a I got a
0: weird one. Oh, I love it! I've, I got a, a really little weird eighty-minute black and white, very recent film, twenty seventeen. Uh, I believe it debuted at SIFF. Either it was either South by Southwest or or CIF, Okay, twenty seventeen, Infinity Baby. Actually, as of this recording right now, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Okay, uh, really good cast. Both Nick Offerman and his wife Megan Mullally. They're both in it, uh, in in small parts. I like uh, them. Uh, Rory Culkin. Which we talked about him a little while back, as you had recommended. Uh, Scott, Scott Pilgrim. Pilgrim, yeah, and um, Martin Star from Freaks and Geeks. I know I've mentioned Freaks and Geeks before, and you haven't seen. He's, yeah, he's got a very. His character takes a very interesting turn. So uh, basically, the plot is that in the not so distant future, uh, abortion is illegal, but the the trade off is what now Congress is allowing. It, it's a it's an open you can do whatever you want as far as stem cell research is concerned. And so there's this, an experiment that gets botched and about a thousand or so babies are now what they call infinity babies. They just don't age. They stay babies. And there's this firm that has taken advantage of this and is, is selling these, these babies to people for like 20 grand a pop. Um, and there's this whole thing with like it's a there's also some pharmaceutical undercurrents as well because you've got to give the kids a certain pill to to suppress their hunger. Really, it's yeah, it's very odd. And the way that everybody interacts with each other in the film, it's almost they're they're all kind of stunted emotionally. I mean, it it's dark. I mean, I laughed at some stuff that after I was done laughing, I was like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have laughed at that. I feel kind of dirty. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's it's very pitch black very very bleak humor but sure. for just a fun little 80 minute nothing movie little black and white independent i mean it it very pleasantly surprised me okay i absolutely worth the 80 minutes to awesome. spend on it i don't want to delve too too much too Go any deeper down yeah. that hole with
1: it because there's there's some great well,
0: great dialogue in it that I would hate to ruin.
1: Well, and fairly fairly recent and and fairly obscure, so yeah, they, yeah, definitely don't want to. I just I just got
0: to the end of it and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm actually really pleased that I watched it. I don't get that feeling a ton, but I'm like, I'm
1: really glad that I just took a chance. Nice, yeah, awesome. It, it's
0: always it's really lovely when that pays off because it it very rarely happens.
1: Yeah, it's tough to take a gamble on movies now, especially yeah. with no no previous entries from a director or, or or if it's not part of a franchise and and yeah it, nobody wants to just turn on something they know nothing about oh
0: and with so much original i mean netflix has really just overdone it just green lighting absolutely anything yeah it's it's getting difficult to wade through all the trash yeah
1: there's to, a wonderful to find that that little gem you there's know? a wonderful south park tangent about uh coon and friends trying to get their own netflix series because they're Netflix is, is taking anything on. It, do you watch South Park anymore? Okay. <laughs> the- yeah, I,
0: I remember that one. They pick up the phone. Hi, Netflix, you're greenlit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's
1: just about it. <laughs> Awesome. So great. So those so Mission Impossible three and Infinity Baby sound like totally different movies, but those are our recommendations for no, the week. I, I certainly wouldn't recommend that as a double feature. I mean that'd be uh It would be awkward. That's a that's a weird evening. Well I told you our, our New Year's Eve double feature this the other day was was game night and Mandy. Yeah, that's a weird one. Man, that, that, that tops my
0: Sweeney Todd across the universe one. <laughs> that uh, those are both musicals. Yeah. It, it even tops well, – I did I did one 2014
1: as well. I did The Drop and Tusk back-to-back. Back. Okay. Our, my favorite one was uh, – it was Christmas Day in Indiana because we didn't come back home. And so uh, in the theater's Christmas Day, we saw Les Mis, and then we saw Django.
0: That was and, and, and you saw them in that order. Yeah. So you definitely did it in the right order. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. We, we totally I them. mean, how disappointing would have that been to do it the other way?
1: I, I mostly like Les, Mis, but I'm happier the way that we saw it. Because I,
0: I think I've told you this before. When I did that across the universe, Sweeney Todd, I really wish I'd done them the other way around and finished with across the universe rather than finishing with Sweeney Todd.
1: Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, you live and learn. Yep. Uh, so we're talking about a movie today that I'm I'm really excited about. I I didn't know anything about this movie before I watched it. And um, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. So uh, today we are talking about The Wages of Fear, uh, directed by Henry Georges Clouseau, written by Clouseau, and um, if you go by the credit, Geron, Geron, Geronimi, uh, who is actually Clouzot's brother, uh, Jean Clouseau, uh, based off of the, the novel by Georges Arnaud. We'll talk a little bit more about these guys in a second. Um, it is from 1953. Yeah, that's right. Um Nineteen fifty five, if you've lived in the States. Yes. It
0: took a little while to get over here, but did really, really well at Cannes.
1: Yes, it did. Yeah. It did. Um it won um the uh, grand prize. And it also and Charles Vanel, I don't want to say his name, Vanel maybe, um, who plays uh Joe in the movie, uh, won Best Actor. It was for this and it was for another movie too, technically. Um Yeah, it was kinda like a, a special because they, they yeah. kinda doubled down on him. Um, but yeah, so it definitely did great there. It won best film from any source at the BAFTAs, um, and that's all I have. Well, that's that's a big deal. What no, it did oh, sure. at the
0: BAFTAs because before this point, it was really it, in England at least it was very difficult to see foreign films. I mean, most people wouldn't stand for. Oh, you mean I got to go to the movies and read? That kind of attitude. We don't want we don't want foreign languages in our films. That kind of stuffy nineteen fifties British attitude that they're trying to get back to. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, if, if living in Britain in, in that time, it was you either had to go to London to the art house cinemas, or a, a special film committee or film society had to try and bring that to your local town. You know, in very very small theaters. So it, it, wages of fear did a lot for foreign films in different markets, and I think they. It kind of had an, an easy way out because there's large sections of the film either without dialogue or that are in English. So yes, it, was kind of, it kind true. of eased people into the idea of foreign films because there was still, like I said, those sections of the film where you didn't have to read.
1: Yeah, totally. Yep. Um, so uh, the the cast, um, and you know, you probably aren't going to know a lot of these people if you if you're unfamiliar with this time of film in this, this area. But, um, so Yves Montand played, uh, Mario. He's more known for being kind of a cabaret singer in France at the time. Uh, Charles Vannel played Joe. Um, Fulco Lully, probably saying that wrong, uh, plays Luigi. Uh, Peter von Eyck played Bimba. Uh, Vera Clouseau. Yes, that would be the wife of Georges Clouseau. Um, uh, played Linda. And then the only other one I wrote down, I have a couple of others, but I think the only other one would be William Tubbs who plays uh, Bill O'Brien. There are a lot of other supporting characters in the show and in the, in the in the movie if there are any others that you want to sort of throw out there. Well, no,
0: the, just the special mention for for William Tubbs this was actually his last film. He died quite young. He died at 45. Oh. So I don't even know if he if he saw the finished film or not.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um so uh, this this film actually is on the IMDb 250, at Wait, number is it,
0: 203. That's again, it's hilarious. It moved. I took these notes too early again. So when I looked, it was 206. Oh, and I didn't. I did. I've been trying to get better about marking the date.
1: Oh, I should too. That's a yeah. good
0: point. Yeah. So I I believe I I made these notes, uh, about seven eight days before we're recording.
1: Man, I thought I did that too. Maybe maybe yours is more accurate. I might have gone I might have gone before you. Oh really? To be honest, yeah. Oh yeah. so yeah, it, well, it wouldn't surprise but there you me go. that so it would have dropped rather in that range, than gone up. Yeah. In that range, yeah. Um Rotten Tomatoes, though, it's got a uh critical score at a hundred and an audience score ninety five, which is fantastic. Um it is really, really highly regarded. Um, do you have any reviews or anything you want to bring up?
0: Uh, no, but before we move on as far as awards go, uh it also has a um, the distinction of winning both the Palm d'Or and the Golden Bear at the Berlin Fest this is the first film to win both of those. I
1: did read that too. Yeah, which is great. I mean, it's 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 a very interesting, eclectic, intense movie. I'm, I mean, I'm glad I'm really. I, I'm glad that it got the the accolades that it did because, you know, in other in other ways, it got ignored by maybe bigger, more quote unquote prestige you know guilds and, and awards but I'm, I'm glad it picked up the ones that it did yeah
0: no no academy award
1: nominations which I th- is a little surprising i think yeah well and we'll get into i want to get into a little bit about uh henry george clouseau because he's he's got a really interesting backstory um so i i, I have to go back to my good friend i was going to assume you had bosley Bo- See, I,
0: I looked at his and it some of his reviews aren't really analytical. Some of them are more just summations than anything else. And th- this one, I felt, fell a little bit more in that category. It was it, more of a summation.
1: It did. It, no, I totally, and, and it's it's not too long, but I, I'm just going to read some of the highlighted stuff just because it, it sounds, it just sounds very 50s too in, in its way. Um, so this is his review from February 17th, 1955. As heavy a charge of nitroglycerin as a motion picture may legally contain is figuratively and, literally, transported in the French film The Wages of Fear. At the outset, this lethally-laden thriller looks as though it is taking off to be a squalid and mordant contemplation of the psychological problems of a group of men stuck without hope of salvation in a fetid South American oil town. And, in this area, the prospect of achievement grows progressively dim, as H.G. Clouseau's screenplay of Georges Arnaud's novel goes wandering down slimy back alleys and gives evidence of having been trimmed. Then, there's a sudden concentration, An oil well takes fire back in the field, and two truckloads of nitroglycerin have to be sent there to blow it out, and it goes on to to, then explain the plot. I just like this, um, the wages of of their fears will be salvation. Now the excitement begins, for M. Clouseau, who directed this thriller as well as wrote the script, goes all out in setting situations that fairly shiver with ice-cold suspense. I just like some of that, just that fun ridiculous
0: description i do yeah we we seem to have fallen head over heels in love with bosley Crowther here at this podcast
1: i don't know why i mean first it was just his name yeah <laughs> it's it's definitely attention grabbing so i'm gonna i'm gonna come right out with a hot take and and i want to i want to see what you think about this so uh, i watched this movie with my wife and we get done. We get done the very, very end of the movie. And we've been totally engaged this whole time. And, and believe me, this movie is well worth your viewing. But we get to the end, and uh, my wife l- hate, hated the ending of this movie. Straight up hated the end of this movie. And we, we had to talk about it for a little bit. And before I get to the way that I think we could, quote, unquote, fix it, I would, I'm would i going to say that this movie is a different ending to, to going from a really good movie to a phenomenal movie. The way that he was driving the truck at the end of the movie and just kind of like swerving and shit. I get... and I it, You know what's funny? Because I don't even mind the way that he was driving. Because he, he's celebrating in his own way. He's celebrating the fact that he made it to the end. He got that truck all the way to where it needed to go. But the way in which he just kind of goes over the cliff... Just seems, it just seems really, and I realize we're jumping right to the end, and this movie is what, 63, 4 years old? So I'm not too worried about spoiling it. You should go see this movie. But the way that the truck just kind of tumbles down, I just, it just felt like, it felt cheap in a way. It felt, it didn't feel earned, but it's not that, but it's, but the problem I think that we discussed was not that he dies. I don't have an issue with that, it's the way in which it happens. And Melissa had a great idea, and so this is what I want to float your way. What if, as he's driving back, because assuming he's got to go back the same way he came, let's just assume that.
0: Well, I I think we do see him going back the same, because you see him go back through the oil spill.
1: Okay, yes, exactly. Thank you. Okay, what we never see happen, I don't think, is we never see the one can of nitroglycerin that they take out to blow up the rock. We never see that go back into the truck. Oh, that's a that's a really good point. And so Melissa said, "She goes, well, what if what if he was driving and he's still doing his thing? He's still kind of swerving and smiling, but unbeknownst to him, not seeing where the 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 big uh, drum of it is. What if he hits that, and that's what ends it?" See, so then you could still have because because
0: Clouseau's whole point with the ending that he that he filmed was that he wanted a he wanted to put a big old full stop like a like a irony like i want to give you like the the most intense moment of irony possible yeah well and that's but it's it's not it's not irony really it's just stupidity yes you you can't you can't make your character go through all of this and then just act like a total moron at the end and get to call it
1: irony that's not yeah, it's it's cheap. It
0: because, it does it cheapens the rest I, of the film. And I
1: think it is more ironic. It fits more into that realm if instead of clumsily falling off the side of a cliff, like if he can't see the drum and the thing that the thing that got him the money, the thing that he was striving to get across is what ultimately takes him away at the end. And she said that I was like, "God, that's good." I I that would have been like that would have been really good. Um, and and don't get me wrong, uh, f- dear listeners of our podcast. This movie is really good, and our the la- our qu- our problems with the last thirty seconds of this movie don't negate anything that comes before it. So sorry for shooting so far ahead, but like I've been thinking about this since we we watched it, so I I wanted to just get it out right away. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm not. Yeah, I.
0: The end does really frustrate me. Yeah. I, I don't think it... Yeah, it doesn't take away from the rest of it, because it, it the re- it is still a good movie, but for me, the, the logical closing point for me, and a really great shot too, is where he collapses. He's walking towards the Derek fire. Yes. And he just collapses, and there's the beautiful shot of him in the foreground, passed out on the ground, and then... You know that that in the background, and they come up to him and they check his pulse and they make sure that he's not dead. Yeah. Uh, but you could do so. You could do something ambiguous there. You could just cut it off with the shot of him hitting the ground, and lingering on that for a moment, and then that's the. We don't know if he's dead or alive. Whether he has actually, you know, he's made it, but we don't know whether he's made it. Yeah. And you still get to have irony there, and you get to have ambiguity and a sort of a less is more. Yeah. Which I'm I'm always for. Let everybody make up yeah. their own mind yeah. about. Yeah. You've gone on this journey with this guy. I mean, the, the, the journey, the end is not the important part. Yeah. Oh, it's it's yeah. like most Cohen brother films. The conclusion is almost meaningless. Sure. But it's what got us here that is the most important thing. Yeah, sure. Do you want to talk a little bit about Clouseau? Oh, I was more so than Clouseau, I was interested in the history of the author. I did oh, that, that, I, I did some reading about him. He yeah. had uh, interesting life but yeah no if you want to go oh, forward I, with clouseau go oh, we'll come back to the author
1: you know uh with with clouseau the thing that got me the that I, I found the most interesting about him coming up was you know here's somebody who who was trying to fight against who he was right his family was very much of the bourgeois class um his dad owned a bookstore he was a, vor- he was a voracious reader i mean he was he was very much a smart guy but didn't i don't think ever really wanted to be a part of 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 that um and Kind of fell into directing and fell into movie making. Had the unfortunate experience of working under working um, in cinema under Nazi rule in France, and having his essentially his loyalty called into question after Nazism went away. So he he was banned. Oh, he, it was almost a lifetime ban. Of of being able to make films, and it ended up being two years. I think is what it turned out to yeah, be. Yeah,
0: there's a. If you look at his filmography, there is a a, a period where he didn't work between about forty three and forty seven, because he did start primarily as a screenwriter, and then and yeah, he handled
1: some... that's right in the he handled the screenplay department uh, for the the French for French cinema. Right. Yeah, um, and he also had a huge bout of um, uh, tuberculosis that he was that he, that kept him in a sanitarium for I think about six years. Um, And so, you know, somebody who who was totally facing death and then, you know, wanted to work in film. But the only the only thing that he could do at the time was to work under the Nazi rule (laughs) in France. You know, his loyalty was called in the question. And but the thing that that he I mean, he came right back to I mean, I, I, I the doc that I watched, you know, it was like the day after his ban was lifted. He was he was on to working on the next thing, which which just goes to show you how. How much he wanted to be doing this. And the only thing I wanted to bring up about Clouseau was just how specific and tyrannical in a way he was on set. But everybody thought that was – not I want to say an act as in it wasn't real. But everybody called him a sweetheart off, off set. But on set, it was, it was his show. It was, it was very – in a way, it was very Hitchcock. You know The way that he sort of guided actors to a very, very specific endpoint with their acting.
0: Well, and it's good to bring up Hitchcock as well because they had a, a sort of short-lived rivalry. The other the other film that Clouseau has in the book, uh, Les Diaboliques, yes. from 1954, uh, Hitchcock wanted the rights to the book that that was based on. He really wanted that, and I think Clouseau beat him by a very, very slim margin. You know, we're talking a matter of hours. Yeah. He got to it before Hitchcock could get to it, and so another film that we're going to talk about in a couple episodes, was almost uh, Hitchcock's direct sort of retaliation. Yeah, because he went out, and got himself the rights to a French novel, you know, before Clouseau could. Yeah, yeah, as a sort of hey, man, fuck you, you took mine, now I'm gonna take one that I know you're interested in. So it's it's nice it's fun to hear about those little the the rivalries the the and challenging each other back and forth and what a guy to to take on is Hitchcock.
1: Yeah. Well and then and, and, and just to think about and maybe we'll talk about it more in a couple episodes, but to think about, you know, what it, what would happen if Hitchcock had directed Wages of Fear and what would happen if Clouseau had directed the one that we're gonna talk about a couple episodes from now. Just just to see how that how differently those movies oh, absolutely. would have been.
0: yeah i think i think almost for the better i think that's a that's an interesting alternate reality uh, yeah that probably where the movies are themselves are probably better yeah if i'm honest
1: (laughs) um but so okay so that that i mean cluso is a really interesting guy and and honestly we just scratched the surface there's a great hour-long documentary on the criterion collection um about about him um and his his life that that's really worth a watch but um Go ahead, my friend, and and do some some. Uh, is it George Arnaud? Well,
0: before I before I get to him, I I was really interested in the film that made him fall out of favor with both the Nazi-occupied film industry and was that uh, Le Corbeau? Le Corbeau about okay. the the doctor uh, who is accused of performing abortions and having, you know, extramarital affairs with a, a load of women in the village. I mean, it sounded like a very interesting film, and it's. Uh, I mean, how, how bad can it be to get you almost a lifetime ban? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm very curious to seek this thing out and find it. But anyway, um, (laughs) George Anode, uh, the author of the book, he was imprisoned as, as a younger man. Uh, he was accused of murdering his entire family in the castle that they lived in. You know, he, he had raised the alarm and was the only one, you know, living when the, uh, when the the authorities arrived, and so he got the blame for it. The problem was is that he got arrested during the occupation of of france, and so therefore he was kind of left to rot in a cell for years almost died of of starvation and and exposure hypothermia um yeah he was he was imprisoned uh october nineteen forty one and then yep. his trial didn't begin until may of nineteen forty three and so I mean, he left with with such a disdain for any kind of authoritarian figure. I mean, he he went out of his way to sort of shed his previous life and rid himself of all the money that
1: he had and disappear down to South America, which yep. is
0: where he got the inspiration
1: for yes. Wages of Fear. Yeah, he he expatriated to Venezuela, um, and uh, d- had some run-ins with did some gold digging, uh, did some smuggling, but also uh, worked as a truck driver, which was yeah, which led to him doing the wages of fear. And then and then he 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 wanted it to be a movie first. Oh, see screenplay. that that I didn't find. Yeah. That's interesting. Um but but there was apparently there was so much with with producers and, and and companies trying to get the rights to it that it just it, it was taking too long. And so he just decided to write it as a as a novel first. And then of course it, it was a big success. And then it came back around to people getting the rights. But I think he he wanted to get it off the off the ground. Like he wanted to write this as a screenplay and it, it took too long to get a, a deal done so he just wrote it as a novel.
0: Oh, which I'm I'm wondering I'm mean, seeing as how old that book is I'm wondering if that thing is even still in print. I I yeah I, I, I would love to take a look at it. Yeah, especially after what Friedkin did with it later in the 70s. Yeah, right. do, you, do you want to deal with this tangent? We can cuz I don't I, I'm I'm here, we have I'm, any... I'm here to support you, my friend. Oh, okay. Excellent. Well, that's thank you man. That means a lot to me. Do you want to do you want to deal with the plot, and then at the end maybe we'll come around to the remake?
1: Sure. Well, and and you know, thankfully the plot of this isn't too—it's not too complicated. Um, we open up on this small town, San San Pedro's, I think is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, I I had a note. The opening of this movie to me felt very much like Roma. It was very, very bleak. Very, you know, we could have seen the the sort of the the more lavish. South American cities, but we don't. We're definitely in the slums. We are definitely watching these people sort of living their basic lives, and we see all of these men, these these this group of um, sort kind of ragtag guys who all kind of are seedy in their own way, but we don't know why. And that's one thing I love about this about this movie is we don't get anybody's past. We get when when um when Joe and Mario are kind of having their conversations about France and stuff. We get a, a little bit. But not not a lot, and it's this group of unknown ragtag guys in, in this bar, basically looking for work. There's no work to be done. You know, they they do odd jobs, but basically everybody is just kind of skimming by. But the one thing that is succeeding is oil, and that's a huge thing nearby. And basically, after this big fire starts, um, about three hundred miles away, and they need to get this nitroglycerin. Um, over there to basically blow out the fire. That's that's what th- that's what's gonna happen. But they not they don't want the um, uh, William Tubbs who plays uh, Bill O'Brien doesn't want to use Union guys because they they wouldn't be able to really do that because they know how dangerous it is. It's they they have no special equipment to transport it. It's just two big ass trucks over 300 miles of treacherous terrain to get it to this other fort. So they go to the locals and there's enough of these guys desperate to get some money. Yeah, they're are, they're offering them two grand ahead head or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, two trucks with two guys, and they get selected. And then the movie, really, about an hour into the movie, is when it really starts to kick off.
0: Yeah, no. As this thing, that's what I have in my notes. I'm like, man, I'd seen it before, but it'd been it'd been a long time. And this is only my first time. Yeah,
1: but sorry, I didn't mean. But to as
0: no, no, no. It's, um, as as the film is moving. kind of too slowly for my taste i think i think there is something that could be lost in that first hour it's an hour before the plot kicks
1: i absolutely agree and there's and i i actually i love the stuff when like when when joe arrives you know and, and clearly he's trying to sneak in and and he finds a fellow frenchman i love the when they they're whistling and they whistle back and forth and they kind of oh my god you're french I'm French too. Oh, we can be we can be friends here. Like oh, just the, the little detail of driving the taxi. That short distance, the fifty feet was to the so front great. of the bar. I wrote that down. I love that. That, I, that was a great fantastic. little moment.
0: Just to try and maintain
1: some of your status. Yeah, I, there was a lot that happened. I mean, really, I mean, in the first five to ten minutes, that not only seemed unnecessary but also has aged so poorly. Like there were some really awful moments in those first 10 minutes. Oh,
0: definitely some, some racism. There's a joke
1: about there's some white guy basically using some of the water to clean himself. And there's a, there's a local doing the same thing. And he makes some joke about bleaching your skin. And I was like, Jesus, right off the bat. I was like, this is whoa. whoa, Okay. And, and then there's also the, like, um, sorry, the, the names in this are, um, Linda, Linda's like she basically crawls over on all fours to Mario. He pets her almost like a dog. She like is wiggling her ass as she's cleaning. Like there's, she's very much demeaned through the entire movie treated like shit. And and her character
0: really serves no purpose. I mean, this is the director really taking care of his wife. She only made three films and they were all films for him. Absolutely.
1: But, but you know, there, and I, and I get that we, you know, and for me the worst part, Maybe just because, like, was the guy spitting and throwing rocks at the dog for no reason? Yeah. I don't like dogs. Yeah, it's it's a little fucked up. Um, but and I and I say all that, and and this is me just viewing these people as like that's 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 messed up. You shouldn't do that. But it really is kind of showing in a way the low down dirtiness of these guys. They're not; these aren't necessarily great men who who don't have jobs. They're all kind of just scavengers. They've all they're all they've all left something. I actually wrote down at one point. This feels like a dirtier version of Casablanca. Like, like a slummy. Like people have all kind of come here for one reason or another. I like that a lot. We don't know why. Um, But it's it's so it's not it's not as fun. It's it's like oh it's just grimy and and gross and everybody's got you know some kind of a seediness to them. I mean even um, uh, Luigi, who seems like a actually before the. Before the kind of the rumble moment. um, Seems like a really nice, swell
0: guy. No, well, And there's also the kid that you kind of, he wants to get out of there. Like he's got his visa. Oh my God. But his visa God. is going to expire really soon. So he's got to make a move. It's so now or never.
1: There were there are two shots in this movie. I don't know. If, I, I don't. We're, again, I, I love when we're all over the place. And we're just talking about it. But there are two shots in this movie that really, really stood out to me. And one of them was when Linda goes out to pray before the, the men go off and drive. And it's that. It's the camera pans and you just see those feet there, and like it—it it totally caught me. I mean, I knew when the kid was writing his letter saying that he got a job, that if he was blatant, I mean, he's blatantly lying, but I didn't know what he was going to do. I wasn't expecting that, even though yeah. it, in a way it feels obvious, but it still took me. W- and the way that it was shot too, it yeah, it's framed yeah. so well. Oh man, it it really knocked it knocked me. It kind of I, I I went <gasps> and I I. I you know, five seconds later, I had to remind myself to breathe. Yeah. Cause it just totally took me away. And for, for such a, a grimy,
0: low down, gritty, it's a, it's a very good looking film. Yes, it is. And I, you have the criterion. Yeah. I, I have the BFI. I have the British film Institute one. Yeah. That I imported just because I, I was more interested in the special features on the BFI one. And the fact that it was a, a newer restoration than what even criterion had. Yeah, mine's the DVD. So it, yeah. yeah, it's, so I mean I'm sure it's still pretty good looking, but oh, mine, yeah, mine is pristine. That that BFI one is. Is just, this some kind of a pissing contest now? No, I'm just whatever. I'm just letting you know that I think I, I you think you have the BFI. pristine
1: copy, and I have the piss copy. That's yeah, what okay. you're saying, okay? No, just the the BFI. I think actually managed to one up Criterion with there this you go. Release. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the the other shot that really really caught me and. It, you know, it sort of predates the crying Indian looking at the, 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 the letter was that it was like, I, I don't, I don't know why I'm not quite sure where this takes place. So I'm just going to say natives cause native to that land, but there's those three natives watching the burning oil. Um, just, just like ravish the land. And then they're, yeah, they're not that's, saying that's a, a word. That's a great,
0: that's a wonderful show it was it was was heartbreaking but yeah
1: yeah yes yeah and and then that and that image combined with the line later about you know if there's oil around the americans aren't too far behind and it just was like and again and i i don't mean to to beat this but it seems like almost every film that we watch that is from a time gone by it still feels very relevant and like to hear that line today it's like fuck man that's that's has that ever been not true have we never oh, I, not I been after so. oil? You know what I mean? And it's just...
0: It's well, just... The, the problem starts The problem starts with me. It starts with the Brits. I mean, we, you know, our empire and our drawing up the map the way that we... Oh, we think this line looks pretty here and not to realize that it's going to destabilize
1: an entire region for the rest of ever. Well, oh, two things. One, I don't think anybody blames you personally. So please take that off. We're not blaming you. Oh man, I feel great. It's like Atlas shrugged. Great. Is how I feel. Okay, Ooh, good, good. And the the second thing is, sh- sure, but we also we didn't have to go in there. <laughs> like, oh no, we, we we just we we wanted it, and we decided to go and take it. Apparently, so.
0: Well, that's and that th- this is probably why we mentioned just a few minutes ago it not doing any business at the Academy Awards or, or really any of the the American. Uh, awards or, or film critics oh, circles yeah. and things like that. It's it's because this film is essentially, it's an indictment of capitalism.
1: Well, can I, okay, sorry, can I read something? Yeah, no, Because we're talking about this. So that one of the essays in the Criterion was from, um, from Dennis Lehane. Do you know who Dennis Lehane is? Yeah, no, the author of uh, Mystic River yes. and, and Gone Baby Gone. So he has this great essay in the Criterion one, and he talks about uh, part of the idea of, of the Americanness of this movie. Um, he says, American exploitation of foreign cultures, the rape of the land and the ridiculous folly of man. Critics at the time charged that wages of fear was a, was very virul- virulently anti-American. Time Magazine in 1955 called it a picture that is surely one of the most evil ever made. But this is missing the ravaged forest for the blighted trees, as director Carol Rice point out in a 1991 film comment article. The film is anti-American, but only insofar as it is unselectively and impartially anti-everything. I love that so much because it kind of is. Yeah, and it, well,
0: and it's so well written. I mean, that's why Dennis Lehane is who he is. Yeah, I mean, fair listen to how yeah. well. he's. and his written.
1: by the way, and that 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 his whole essay is. Is wonderful. It, it, it's and I think I could probably link it on the Facebook page. It's such. It's it's well worth the read. Um, but yeah, this just. It's so funny how this this all kind of comes up and and you know, um Bill O'Brien's complete lack of remorse for for the guys who have died during in the explosion, You know, and it, it's it's almost played to slapstick comic timing. You know the way that's like, oh, what's his name's mother's on the phone. Oh well. Tell her he's fine, or you know, it just like shrugs it off, and it's like, dude, you are the worst person.
0: Yeah, no, it is as I said. I mean, an indictment of of all those things, and using people as disposable commodities. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're just oh, it's fine if they're dead, we'll just replace them, or we'll get the non-union guys because then we won't have to pay out life insurance.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and which, you...
0: which is the whole purpose for them going out and finding you know these sort of
1: derelict scavengers. And it's funny how much this we we get the, a lot of this oil talk in the first part of the movie, but then once they're on the road, it, it's it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's not the focus point anymore because once they start driving, man, it's like you can't. I got I you're tense. You're just you know you're holding your breath, and I mean do you, do we want to do we want to go through like the the major blocking points on the road? Yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. And I you know what it would be. More tense for me now. I don't want this to come across wrong because I do really enjoy this movie, but I would I would enjoy. Oh shit! No, there's. It would be more tense if I didn't hate Joe so goddamn much, and I and I know why he's there. He's there to piss us off, (laughs) but he's such. You he think he's this hard case. You know this French gangster, and he's very clearly killed the other because he's not originally chosen as one of the four exactly but yes. he comes in to see his friends off and oh wait, where's the guy we're waiting on? Oh, I can just slip right in here yeah and not realizing how deep he's getting into it I mean he's a I think they call him at one point or at least Mario calls him at one point you're Al Capone with cold feet yes, yeah, which is really good um
1: yeah no, he's just a, he's just a whiny bitch. Well and it's so it's so interesting and, and I what, what I when sometimes it bugs me and sometimes it doesn't but what I what I actually enjoy in this movie is it, there's a lot of questions that never get answered. There's a lot of big what I feel like are big moments that come up that we don't really get anything about like J- Joe's history with Bill O'Brien. They clearly have some kind of a past that we don't get a whole lot of information on and we never and that never gets resolved. And that's and, and that doesn't bug me, you know, because the whole point is there's there's so much history with these guys that we never know. But but Joe fights so hard to get on the truck because because as all the guys do, they all need the money. And then so early on, he does he does start to become this sniveling, whimpering, whiny guy who can't do the trip anymore. And, you know, why why fight so hard if if you know because I. I because I think he knows before he even gets in the truck that it's he can't do it. He's not really ready for it. And yet he He, he tries so desperately to get in the truck. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. And
0: how much did it bother you how much they don't care about smoking around this stuff? They, they're smoking on the truck. They're smoking next to it. Even though there's big signs everywhere that do not smoke within 50 50- feet of this vehicle or something like that you guys all have a death wish do you not it seems like there are moments where there's moments where they're very clearly taking it seriously yes but other moments where they're just it's just a job and they're not worried about really the repercussions of what could happen to them if they continue to fuck up as they do
1: well and i i think i mean i agree i absolutely agree and but i don't think that that's i actually think that that's great storytelling i i love that you know you you can't keep that kind of focus the entire time I, I mean you you're taking it seriously but you know i think and and I, i'm not a smoker but i feel like that, that's obviously got to be the help calm your nerves is to is to to smoke to kind of you know help you re- relax a, a little bit give you a little bit of a rush to you know that's not just all mental but i mean yes to, to take a step back and to look at it and go well come on idiots what are you what are you doing yeah come on let's get our shit together one one
0: and while I'm talking about things that bothered me, one other thing, and we you mentioned things not getting resolved or, or not coming to fruition, but there's a, during the rumble, as you mentioned at the beginning of the movie, where Joe has come into town and he's rubbing all these guys the wrong way, uh, He he does kind of have a back and forth with Luigi. Yes. And that's, I mean, it's fine and all, but it's never brought up again because he luigi doesn't go into the truck with joe it's it's joe and mario and it's bimba and and luigi yes so i i feel like we needed to have another antagonistic sort of beat where we need to get we really need to push joe and and luigi together and fully realize this conflict and this hatred that they have of each other which is never addressed again it kind of it kind of makes a lot of what happens in the movie Irrelevant, I think because because well, you, you set up an antagonistic relationship
1: and it doesn't it doesn't pay off well you you do but it's it's also the antagonistic relationship starts so m- almost meaningless yeah it, it's it, over it's, about it's a over pair nothing. Of pants. nothing well yeah. I just mean like you know Luigi gets pissed because Mario essentially gives Joe a pair of his pants because he's there's wine on it or something is that what it yeah yeah, yeah. and so they get mad and and then you know Luigi kicks him out and then Luigi basically comes in after basically being told that his lungs are full of cement. And I think I think he's gonna, like you know if I've got this much time left, I'm gonna that money that I've been saving, I'm just, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna I'm gonna, and he goes in. Let's get champagne. Let's have a good night. And Joe can't handle losing that kind of notoriety, that spotlight in the bar. And so that's when it happens. And I I, mean, I really like the tenseness of that moment. I, I think it's great. Um, and the reason I think it doesn't really ever come back is because in the world of these guys, it's probably over that day. You know, it's like, sure, that, that was a tense moment, but now it's over. We know that Luigi was never going to shoot him and maybe Joe would have, but I think we know now that he, he wouldn't have either. And you know, it was, there was it, honestly, that felt like a dick measuring contest that, that, um, Joe just happened to win that night. And I think that there's just a seriousness with which the four guys have to take the driving that that you just you have to put that aside. I mean, even if there is still uh, animosity between them, you, you got to let that go.
0: No, yeah. yeah, no, I can see that. But speaking, it's just, it's just oh, something something else I I would have liked to help push sure. this
1: thing along and keep well, and, and, think, and keep the tension at a peak. It feels like it would have been easy enough to put in a little something. You know, especially I mean, maybe there was a little bit like when they have to when, when Joe and um Mario's truck has to stop the first time because Joe is already kind of queasy and and can't quite handle it, and 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 uh, Bimba and and Luigi have already caught up to them, even though I it's like they had they set them apart a half hour yeah right it just goes to show you how slow Joe has been driving that entire time, so we've kind of in a way and kind of an off we've kind of made our way to the washboard. Oh, yes. Oh man. That is that's good. That is great. It's good stuff. And I and I really like and I you know, I don't I'm like I don't understand the 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 science or whatever behind it, you know, the the road and the quality of it, but I I do love when a movie can set up rules and then we have to follow these rules. So, at this chunk of road, you either it's so it's so whatever, bumpy and slick and, and whatever that you either have to be going under 6 miles an hour. Or over 40. Like, let we, we get that. And as an audience, we go, cool. that's Now I know that's what the rules are. And so based on – because obviously um, Bimba and Luigi have gone around uh, Mario and Joe because they're just not going fast enough. And Joe needs time to recover because he's basically a little too drunk and a little too scared. I I love that they get in front. I love that they have to – because they've slowed – they had to slow down. Um, yeah,
0: they and this is
1: this is where it gets tense. They choose to do it at the six miles an hour. Well, they don't choose to, right? There's something something they, they break. They have something they they hear something in the in the engine, uh, that's, right? That's right. And so they slow down, but because of now of where they are,
0: they have to stay there.
1: Yes, because they they there's no way they could rev up to forty on that road because then that would be that's the whole point is they they've lost that ability to do that, and so they've set up this where's it I got a nitpick here in a second but they they put that piece of white handkerchief on the ground to sort of clue them in the next truck that hey be aware we're going slow so now yes we've got the one truck in front going six and then the one truck behind going way more than forty actually for a while they're going like 50 60 they are zooming um and yeah this the 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 tenseness of the trucks getting together until they're both off of the washboard was yeah it was that was wonderful.
0: Well, and then we also come to the rock on the road as well. That's one of the next big hurdles. Yes.
1: Wait, uh, that's, no, not, that's the, the, sorry, the, the next g- one is the bridge. The
0: bridge is the next big hurdle. Yeah. Excuse me, which that is a fantastic suit. Like the word I wrote in my notes, the worst three point turn in history. Yeah. <laughs>
1: God. And, um, and that's really, you know, so, so we see, we see Bimba and Luigi manage it in the smaller truck, and again, and and it's funny because this truck that could have the animosity of of Luigi towards Joe, but no, that's this is the truck that set up the white handkerchief that gets picked up that doesn't clue them in, and this is the same the same two guys that put that whole you know I don't know what what it is, but they basically cover where um, Luigi steps through the the bridge to say again, cluing them in, hey. This bridge sucks. So just. But you gotta use be it. Be careful. You, you, yeah, need to, exactly. you
0: need to make the turn back onto this, so you'll get around the corner.
1: And this this is the moment where we really, I mean, this is where Joe's cowardice becomes as apparent as it ever has. Right, because he leaves Mario to do it
0: all on his own and, yeah. and scurries up the hill. Yeah. Which uh, is very. I, I love the the shot of the the hook on the truck. There's, oh. There's getting caught yes. on the rope for the bridge. That that's a very good moment. That's incredible tension building. And the,
1: and what I kept what I kept writing down and also saying to to Melissa as we were watching the movie was, this movie has like all the tropes of 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 something of a tense thriller like this, but yet the writing is so good that none of them are like Deus ex Machina forced in there. Like when the the bridge collapsing right you know that you've only got so much time before the thing that you're on collapses and then you have to jump and whatever and usually most cases they're they're really piss poorly planned it's like you you know that the 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 rickety bridge is going to fall how are they going to get out of it but we we've seen what's supporting the bridge we've seen it's that 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 wire that's doing it and the fact that it happens to hook onto the truck it's one of those it's like yes Yes, I get. I I buy this. Yeah. Even though it's a, it's it's like one of those like Jesus, another thing, but it still works. But it's, it, but it's not a huge leap. No. Exa- yes. Exactly. That. Yeah. Yes. That's.
0: I I agree. And then we come to the rock. Yes. We come. Which to Which is the rock. which is a. This is a bit more of a leap. A little bit more of a suspension of disbelief because they only have that rusty iron rod and they need to drill a pretty substantial hole in this rock to get. The nitroglycerin in there
1: yeah yeah
0: this is, and i didn't want to spend the whole podcast comparing friedkin's version with clouseau's version but this is a moment where where friedkin's movie handles this so much better okay that's that's bring it up because i haven't seen it so it's a it's a log it's a huge fallen tree okay in in sorcerer in the uh friedkin version and it, it's just it's so much more believable and there's this whole thing where they have to set up this rig because it, it's dynamite in um, Friedkin's movie, not nitroglycerin. And what's great about it is it's it's dynamite that's been sitting, mm-hmm. and it's gotten wet, and it's really it, again like the nitroglycerin. I mean, it's like le- some of the dynamite's like leaking. Mm-hmm. Like it's this. Nobody should be anywhere near this. Yeah. It's the stakes. The stakes are just so much higher in Friedkin's, and the moments where you have to suspend disbelief I feel are not as big as this moment in Clouseau's with the rock and having to drill I'm like come on you guys are we're gonna be here all day if you're trying to like pound this he said you have to go a couple feet deep and, and he does but it seems like it takes no time at all yeah yeah um, but anyway yeah with, in the Friedkin one it's, it's a fallen tree and they set up the dynamite with a uh, you know they're gonna have a rock on this little tripod thing and they're gonna they're gonna have to have the rock the, the the some wire burn out to drop the rock to hit the dynamite yeah to blow the tree in half and it, it's it's great it's it's a little more elaborate but i don't feel i have to take as big a leap in disbelief to mm-hmm. deal with that that particular moment anyway. It's just one of those, one of the the many things that I think makes Friedkin, and this is the hot take from me on this episode, I think Friedkin's is far superior film.
1: Oh, wow.
0: It's got a great, great score by Tangerine Dream, um, who are uh, uh, sort of, not psychedelic, but a very experimental type of rock pop band. It's it's a very, very good score. Um, It's just... As grimy and as nasty as, as as, the Clouseau one is. I mean, Friedkin comes from a documentary background. Yeah. And so it, reall- it feels like the real thing. It's nasty. People are, like, laying in, mal- in cots, like, dying of malaria. Just every... There isn't a, a lick of this film that doesn't make you kind of cringe because it just the film itself it just looks dirty like if you were even to like touch the film coming out of the oh man this is just ah it's it's like oozing out of the film how, how gritty and nasty it is and the major difference in Friedkin's version is we do get all four of these characters set we do see all of their backstories and we see how they got there which some people may say detracts would detract from the story as a whole, but I I don't feel that way about it. I, they're they're all really well done. They're all really well set up, especially uh, the Roy Scheider one. Uh, he's a he's a wheel man for you know this this outfit doing heists, and the their getaway goes terribly wrong, and the people that they've robbed are somebody that you really shouldn't fuck with. And sure. so he's got to get he, you know he crashes the car because two guys are having. You know, a spat in the car, and so they end up flipping it, and he's got to get the hell out of it. It's, it's. I think one of the nastiest things in the film in, in Friedkin's is they're robbing they're robbing this church, and there's a wedding happening upstairs while they go downstairs into the basement and and hold the guys up, counting all the money, and it's in Jersey. And the, the couple getting married, the wife has the biggest black eye you've ever seen and she's in her wedding dress and she's got this black eye and the priest can't even look at her he, he can't even really look at either he's so disgusted in this couple in in the man and, and and it's just a really you could call it an unnecessary moment but it just it adds this layer of nastiness that is just going to permeate throughout the rest of the film it, it kind of sets the tone it's it's almost it's really hard to look at seeing a bride in her wedding dress with a black eye. You know, what I mean, sure. there's there's few fewer nastier things that I could think of. Yeah, uh, just just as a as a compare and contrast thing. Now I'm not going to advocate at all that Wages of Fear should come out of the book and and Sorcerer should go in, but I do think they make really good companion pieces. Sure. Yeah. And I and I will highly coming out of this episode very highly recommend people tracking down and finding Sorcerer. Sure because they uh who did it recently um i can't recall the name of the 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 studio that now has the rights to it but they did a a gorgeous restoration of it it looks stunning actually i think warner's owns it now okay because it was it was a big deal coming out in 77 this was one of the first instances of two big studios teaming up to create a film that was universal and paramount okay putting up the money for this thing and it, it ballooned over. But I mean, there's a whole, we could spend a whole episode talking about sorcerer and, and how badly that production went. But, uh, it, it was star Wars at the end of the day that killed it. Oh, it, it had the, the piss poor luck of coming out the week after star Wars. Oh, Gotcha. And so gotcha. it just got buried. Nobody was going to see anything new. People were just getting back in line and going, seeing star Wars for the fourth or fifth or yeah. sixth or however many times. Yeah. But anyway, that was, that was my little, you know, sure. Shout out to to because uh, I I love Billy Friedkin. I, l- I love all of his stuff, and I just you know had to make sure that we got a little sorcerer reference in here. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, and you can't really ignore it. I mean, it's out there. It's a yeah, yeah. Well, and he he likes to say that it's not a remake necessarily. He he went back to the source material and tried to to do a different version of the book rather than a direct remake of Clouseau's, which it's as good a film as Wages of Fear is. It's kind of hard. Not to reference
1: it. Sure. I, I agree.
0: So those those are the big, kind of, the, the big final moment comes, you know, after they've dealt with the rock, there is, uh, there's the moment where Luigi and Bimba, they're a little further ahead, and there's kind of, there's kind of a nice moment, I think, where Bimba is shaving yes, in yes. the truck, and they have a little there they have a little bit of back and forth between them too. So i i really like the bim the bimba luigi relationship and it's i don't feel there's enough of it the film is really about joe
1: and, yeah but we do we do get a little and, bit and of mario bim, bimba's backstory there about what, what is it, he's dip, a he's a dutchman i believe but somebody somebody in his family was was um taken and in, in, taken by the nazis and was you know sort of humiliated in their own way and and he's got this, you know. Basically, I, we get to that line where it's, you know, basically, if, if I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out clean shaven. Yeah. And uh, I
0: I love that sentiment.
1: Yeah, and and there's a great shot um, that we go back to uh, to Mario and Joe, and Mario Joe is rolling a cigarette, and we just see we see the the wind blow the tobacco out of the paper and they look up and that just the explosion in the distance. Yeah. No, we talk about hard cuts a lot on this thing. That what a great,
0: <laughs> yeah, what a great cut from that. I think that is my favorite shot in the film. Is it is going from, yeah, the tobacco being blown out of the cigarette that he's trying to roll to the explosion. So yeah, Luigi and, and Bimba's truck explodes. And of course it explodes in a really, really awkward place right next to a pipeline and so now they have to get their truck, not only through all the debris mm-hmm. that this has created, but now through this massive oil puddle that's that's forming. Which is the which last big hurdle. obstacle. Yeah. And it's also, I think, probably the most iconic moment in the film, the, the shot of. So Joe has to go out and kind of guide Mario through it. And so he's getting covered in oil and, you know. Mario has to, he can't stop. He's got to keep going. Yeah. But And so he ends up running over, essentially, Joe's legs. Yep. And so now he's got, you know, not only does he have to deal with, contend with getting the truck through this, but now he's got the wounded, sobbing. Kind. Of, I mean, Joe is a broken man at this point, both physically yes. and, and mentally. Oh, yeah. But there's that very iconic shot, and I believe it's... It's the cover of the, the criterion. criterion. yeah, yes. of them in the truck, and they're both just covered in oil, and yep. they're, they're so close I mean, this is it. This is the last hurdle, and and is Joe gonna make it or isn't he? I I I really like that last moment between them. As much as I've hated Joe this entire film, yeah, I, I I do really like that moment. It was a great choice for Criterion to choose that as their cover. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so we we talk about unsung heroes, and I I don't know that I I guess I necessarily have one. Yeah, no, I didn't. I was struggling for one as well. You know, because I feel like. A lot of people really do what they can with the, with what they do in the movie. You know, I mean, Clouseau, he's not unsung. He, you know, he did everything. He, you know, I, I guess, and, and apparently um, uh, Arnaud was not too thrilled with the, the film at the end. That's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm
0: very, I, I didn't find that in my research, but I'm very interested to hear that that does remind me the last little point that I wanted to bring and I'll, then I'll put sorcerer down completely is even though, and while we're talking about heroes unsung or not freaking, even though he wasn't what making what he called a remake, he, he didn't feel that he could carry it out without Clouseau's blessing. Yeah. And so he did fly to France and meet with him and, and Clouseau gave him the go ahead. He was very surprised that somebody wanted to tackle this subject again, because he felt like he had done it justice and, and by all accounts, and I certainly agree that I think he did, but I am I am very pleased for an alternative version. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't I I don't I don't really have an unsung hero. Um, I, yeah, I guess you'd have to go back to the the author if you wanted something that was poignant. But I, I I
1: like Bimba as a character, and for me, there's not there's not enough Bimba. Yeah, he's great. I love I love his line after they've they've already fucked with the Italian guy, the who ends up who ends up hanging himself. He's like, if anybody tries to to mess with me. Like, was like, I'll break your fucking legs or something. He says something very menacing, but not in that in that assured tone that it's like, Oh no, he he would do this.
0: Oh no, I absolutely believe it. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's great about not having so much back. We we don't know what they are and aren't ca- capable of. And and how much of it is them putting on a face like Joe when we come to find out how how much of a just a face it is for him. Yeah. And for me, you know, you have a you have a kind of seesaw effect that happens with the Joe and the Mario character, whereas as Mario reveals himself to be much stronger than we first believe, mm-hmm. the first time we meet him, and of course Joe turns into this crumbling wreck. Yeah. So that's something the film does does very very well, yeah. I think, is is the character arcs that those two have to take. But there's still not enough Bimba. I would I would
1: say I you know what now that we've talked about it I would say Bimba's the unsung hero. In there this we movie. go. I yeah. I'm happy about that. I like that. That's great. So um, your favorite shot? It's either like I said, it's either um the, the legs dangling. Or the image of the natives watching the fire burn in the, yeah, in the background, those are good. Or in the for, foreground, for me, it's yeah. for me, it's the end. The
0: the shot of him collapsed with the Derek burning yeah, in the background. That, that's a good shot too. Yeah, very very well framed.
1: Yeah, well, uh, so I think we're I think we're are we at question time? Yeah,
0: I, with the caveat that the end is ridiculous and that's, yeah, okay, you went for the ironic thing, but you did it in one of the worst ways you possibly could. At the end does irritate me, and the beginning could be truncated. I'd say a good fifteen minutes, but, but it it is that's the something y- you must see. I absolutely it, for what it did for foreign cinema and for what it did for thrillers in general. Yeah, I think it is an absolutely must see. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I agree. I think it absolutely should be in the book. And there's a, there's a great YouTube channel called Cinefix, and uh, they do a lot of part of what they do are these top ten lists. And they, there was this top ten thriller list. And uh, this was on it. I don't remember where it was ranked, um, but I was like, okay, cool. And I, and I you know, and, I, and then I knew it was in the book, and it, and I was really interested. And, and it didn't give much away. I mean, it, it, it basically explained the plot um, about getting the trucks across 300 miles, but it didn't give anything away. And, and I I was so pleasantly surprised by this movie. And, uh, and yeah, really, I mean, yeah, despite the kind of long opening and the uh, the ending. Um, I still really highly recommend this movie.
0: And they, they did a good job of giving the film authenticity, even though they, they didn't shoot you know, on location where the film is set. They were, the whole thing is in the south of France. Well, yeah, but so... The well, there is, like, there's a reason for that. They were going to go to Spain, I believe. Well, oh, yeah. Was, until uh, until uh, Montan refused to because of who the, the dictator was at the time. Yeah.
1: When a lot of this stemmed, too, from the failed documentary that Clouseau was trying to make... On his honeymoon with with Vera, um, and, and sort of was was in South America and, and was choosing to shoot a lot of it in the slums and not in like Rio. He chose to really show the the lower quality cities and and and, and villages in South America, and that and the book sort of it really like I remember his uh, somebody like his production designer being so impressed that clouseau could remember so specifically what he had seen and what he wanted the film to look like what he wanted this to look like um yeah yeah it's really interesting backstory to how it
0: came about too how do you feel one of my one of my final questions that i would have for you on this is how do you feel about knowing that there's a colorized version out there i believe it was clouseau's daughter that allowed some french television channel i believe the only place it's ever been shown is on french tv
1: is this colorized version? I didn't know it existed, and I, I'm, I'm, my answer is as always. I, I'm against it.
0: Yeah, uh, I, there's, there are just some, there are some films that. I mean, I, I, what did I? I advocated for a colorized was it, version. It's *Wonderful of some, Life*. Was no, it, no, okay. No, there was something recently where I advocated for not that I think it should replace it, because I was talking about there was something texturally missing from the black the one of the last black and white films we did i don't know why i'm blanking on it now um but there are some films that just feel like they should be in and this one is just it's dripping with texture it doesn't need yeah that that extra that extra elements i think that would only get in the way like i i could never imagine a colorized version of something like treasure of the Sierra Madre. Sure. You know I mean, I put it up there with that as far as,
1: yeah. I mean, the, and, and I, if for anything, I, I, I love the opposite. Like, and I think I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of my favorite kind of, I guess, movie experiments was watching LA confidential in black and white, which just kind of made, it made it feel a little more of the, of the, of the era. It was, it was trying to show in the movie. Yeah. Um, But in terms of taking a, a, a movie that's black and white, Film back in the 30s, 40s, or 50s, and colorizing it just—you're playing to the lowest common denominator, yeah, I think, yes, a little bit yeah, there. And yeah.
0: as you, that makes the argument for, hey, man, as a society, we can only move as quickly as our as our slowest member. And all you're doing is placating <laughs> them. It's okay to watch a black and white foreign yeah. film every once in a while. Get yep. some get some culture
1: and some some flavor a- in your palate. Absolutely. So that is what we think of The Wages of Fear. But as always, we want to know what you think. So you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know um, if you've seen it, if you like it, if you've seen Sorcerer, uh, what you think. If God, maybe if you've even read the book, let us know. Um, so you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. You can um, listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. Please uh, leave us a review, rate, comment, subscribe, all those great things. Um, We uh, got some great movies coming up to talk about. So we hope you stick around and uh, come on and listen to those. So until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.